0: And it's my privilege to welcome Pastor Ross Van Nikerk. Please stand, let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor Ross. I want to share about following Christ and imitating Christ, um, but we're going to talk about walking through the fire tonight. Um, there's a Dr. Malek, George Malek. So, How many of you have ever met Dr. George Malek? He actually in he's in the Eastern Cape, actually more in Port Elizabeth. He has a he's overseeing a diocese of a a region of churches for the Anglican church. He's one of the but he's a he's a Egyptian Christian Coptic guy who went to do his PhD in American theology. He was an orphan raised by Christian missionaries. And um, basically a few years ago he came to South Africa, he married a South African woman from the the northwest of the country. And uh, he wasn't well received. He's called the Egyptenar by his father-in-law the whole time. It's not a good name. It it's, anyway, but he's the Egyptian guy from, and, and that's how they mocked him. But this strange person, Dr. George Malek, he actually, now, now he, when he comes from the Coptic church, he worked in the Baptist church, and now he works in the, in the he's overseeing few churches of the Anglican church, but he's in Schofar. <laughs> so, so as he landed in Stellenbosch, he's got a dual, a dual doctorate, both in psychology and in theology. So he really understands people and people's relationship to God. So they heard that he's in Stellenbosch, and uh, in the Dutch Reformed church, church had a great gathering of ecclesiastical a clump, bunch of churches coming together, economical ministry meeting of all the ministers coming from all over the world and they heard that he's in town and he's got a reputation so he said listen don't you just before we start our meeting don't you just want to come and greet the people and he said man you don't know me why do you want to ask me something like that He says, will you please come and tell us what you've learned in your work in ecumenism, just churches working together to to unity don't you want to come and share He told me this a few years ago, I read the paper that he presented there Because I just asked him to quickly come and he afterwards just wrote the paper But it's a very short 10 minute thing And he stood up and everyone was quiet and looked at this Egyptian man And he smiled and he says, you came to ask me to speak about Eucharism About what we have in common, about our commonality and specifically in the church And he says it's really simple It's not so difficult. You guys are spending millions of dollars every year to fly around to try and unite the church. If you want to know what unites the church, it's the same thing that unites humanity. He says all over the world, humanity has these three things in common. The first thing is suffering. Doesn't matter where you come from, what life you come from, doesn't matter where you're born, rich or poor, black or white doesn't matter which age, which country, which continent. If you are born and you live, you will suffer sometime in life. We share suffering. In fact, every single book in the Bible was written to a suffering community. Most stories of the Bible were written because of their suffering. We only have those stories because of suffering. We have the Bible because people suffered and cried out to God and said, God, help us. (laughs) This <laughs> why we have the Bible. Every New Testament letter was written to a persecuted church. Sometimes if you don't understand the, the context of the Bible, especially Revelations, just remind yourself, this was written to people severely persecuted by Roman people who put them on stakes and fire. And it does bring a lot of clarity. If you want to preach prosperity from the Bible, I want to say, dude, just know to whom it was written. Yes, God does inspire, but these people were dying they were fearing for their lives, every single one of them. The person that they're writing about in the New Testament is the suffering one, the suffering servant. He's called the suffering servant. It was prophesied about him, Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who will suffer and die. In Revelation, we read about Jesus, the one who was like a lamb, a lamb who was slain. <laughs> that's, our, that's our hero. That's our hero. I always mockingly laugh and then gently correct people. Who go like, we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I go like, don't you just want to read the chapter and see who are the ones crying out, we overcame, we overcame? It's those who were slaughtered during Nero's persecution and in Domitian's persecution. They were hacked to pieces, other translation. And those are the ones crying out, we have overcome the world. Why? What do we overcome? We overcome the temptation to run away for ease and comfort, short-term pleasures in this world. What, does we, what do we have in common, Dr. Malek says? We have in common suffering, every one of us. If you haven't suffered long enough, we have some young people here today, they don't want to say just hang on a while. In this world, we will have trouble. And with many other words, Jesus encourages the people. <laughs> There's no way we're going to... But the second thing we have in common, second thing we have in common is the problem of sin. Every single person on earth has the problem of sin. Sin meaning deficiency, shortcoming, in lack, lack of perfection, flaws. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. It's so easy to just look. Even it just there's something wrong with freaking humanity. There's something wrong with the world. Even if you don't look at yourself, but if you've lived long enough, you know that. I am the problem. I'm part of the problem. I am infected with sin. I didn't choose this. I was born this way. And then we sing songs about that. And dress really strange. And then keep those music videos away from our kids. But I was born in sin. David says so. And that's his argument against God in Psalm 51. He says, Lord, I was born in sin. It wasn't my fault. I was born this way. I was born in sin. In sin my mother conceived me. We have in common that we all are sinful. We are all imperfect. And the longer we live, the more gracious we are with one another, if we're Christians, because we recognize that that's your problem. I have my own set of problems. I'm gracious with you because I myself am a fallible human being. I myself am in need of God's redemption. I stand guilty. Everyone stands guilty before God. That's Paul's argument to the Romans. He says, there's no one righteous, not one. Everyone stands guilty before God. And a lot of the suffering in the world is because of sin. We suffer because we bring it upon ourselves. Our addictions. Our anger. We suffer in relationships because I am in the relationship. <laughs> Two imperfect people. And we miss one another. We hurt one another. We betray one another. We are ugly. We are accusing. Because of My sin. But that's why Jesus came, to remove it, to remove the sin. That's why he suffered, because of my sin. The third thing he says that all humanity share and have in common is the fact that no one gets out of this life alive. We all die. No one gets out of this life alive. We all die. Every one of us are bound to death. We don't know when it happens, but we know that every one of us will die there's no difference not your color not your race not your riches nothing will prevent you we all want to live forever we all sing Freddie Mercury's song and then we all die because of the consequences of sin our sin someone else's sin but it's not even your sin it's just sin we die whether someone throws a petrol bomb into the church whether someone comes to to cup you with a panga at night whether someone does whatever that's not so funny (laughs) that's not funny it happens it happens all around. Anyway, this weird sense of humor. <laughs> anyway, but we all die. And and that's what I, what Dr. George Malek uh, spoke to these people. He said, listen, those are the three things that humanity has in common. And that those three things are the cause for the church to exist. Because God came to bring hope with his hopelessness, to bring life with his death, to bring redemption with his sin, God came to enter humanity for this person, for this purpose, to bring hope, to bring life, to proclaim it, but to himself suffered, bled and died and carried our sins, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that in him we may live forever, that in him we may have hope of a newness of life even now. And if the church is any church at all, then the church should be engaged in these three things. And if there's any reason for conversation for church unity, it is for these three things. There is no purpose for because this is what God is about to do. This is the story of the Bible. God came to bring life with His death. God came to bring redemption with His sin. God came to bring hope with His hopelessness. God entered humanity. So I want to speak about suffering today. And uh, when I speak about suffering, maybe just on the first slide, you will see there are always two. Consequences in the Bible. I mentioned it before, but I really want you to <laughs> to think about this consciously when you read the Bible. Every book in the Bible was written to a severely persecuted, suffering community. Everyone. The reason why we have the letters was because they were present, and it was expensive to produce letters in those days because they didn't print paper and type it out. Everything was handwritten on expensive leather or with papyri or whatever else but it was expensive to produce something and it's really expensive to preserve it so when the people received these letters I mean they if we still have copies which we have many of it's because they saw the value of the letter so it was really precious but every one of the letters were written Old Testament letters New Testament letters books were written to suffering people by a suffering person someone himself suffering bringing hope to the, to the people so but there are always two responses, and Job is one of those beautiful places in the Bible where we can see two beautiful responses. The first response to suffering is, um, what, what is Job's response? Job's response, Job chapter 6 is so beautiful. At one point, Job, I'm paraphrasing, verse 30-something, 30 32 probably, chapter 6, but you can just go and read the chapter. At one point, Job, Job's friends are saying to him, Job, and they're accusing him, saying, Job, you think... That because you live a a righteous life That you will be spared From suffering And then they continue to say That is true Which means there's something wrong with you There's sin inside of you Sin, Suffering always causes us to do this Look in the mirror Michael Jackson I'm looking at a man in the mirror He's asking me to change his ways Anyway (laughs) It's bad didn't plan to do that. but anyway, but sin causes us to, to do introspection, to look at ourselves, to look at because this is the assumption. The assumption is that if, if I live a righteous life, if I live close to God, if I live a good life, then I won't suffer because God will protect me. And it's a dangerous assumption. And historically, it's easy to to say, dude, which organization in the world has suffered the most ever? The church. In every generation, the most godly people suffer because they will not deny Christ. so So this is it. Suffering causes you to look in the mirror. And it's good to look in the mirror because we know that sin produces death and it's good to start there just to have a conversation to say god is this the cons- is this suffering is my poverty is my sickness is uh, my failed marriage is is it is it because of me and the truth is that many times it's not it's just the whole world is messed up the whole world is in the sway of the wicked one jesus suffered bled and died not because of his sin The early church fathers suffered, bled, and died not because of their sin. The Old Testament prophets suffered, bled, and died not because of their sin. So introspection is not useful. And the second one is accusation. Job did this. It's natural consequences. You look inside or you look up with a finger saying, like Job, the whole argument of Job is, God, you are not fair because I have walked in righteousness. I don't think I will have that arrogance to say that to God because... But I didn't, I didn't live Job's righteous life. And he goes, God, you are unfair because I'm suffering. I lost my wife and all my kids. No, I haven't lost my wife. I lost all my kids. I lost all my cattle. I lost all my prestige. I lost everything. Even my body is filled with, 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 with sickness and, and, and infections. And God, I've lived, lost all dignity of myself even. You are not fair because I'm serving you. What are you doing with me? What are you doing? Why didn't you save me? And it's always the consequence, one of the two. In fact, there is one or two people, even in this church that I know about, that there are people that really stop following God when things really go bad for a long time because of this wrong thinking, that if I will walk righteously, nothing will happen with me. And you know, Job's issue makes it even worse. God seems to be fine with the fact that Job suffers. The father seems fine with the fact that, that Job is going through a tough time. And that's a difficult thing theologically for us. God seems all right with it. So I want us to just consider it. And I want you to know that that's always the natural consequence in all the Bible and all the history. People look in or people look up. So let's, let's read your story in the Old Testament. Andre said to me that he even devotionally just studied this text today. So it's good. Maybe he prepared for this as well. It's a story of three godly men, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. Three Jewish men that walked with them, that were exiles with Daniel to the, to the Babylonian later on Persian kingdom. And these three men with Daniel were righteous men that held positions in esteem. They were slaves, but they had positions of honor. They were in civil governance. They were in the metropole or in local governance, municipal governance or even provincial governance um, overseeing cities and places. Men of prestige. And then they were cheated into and uh, there was music playing and the music played. Nebuchadnezzar said that I want you, whenever the music played, you must worship this statue. And they worshipped, they refused to bow down to the statue because they were faithful to God And then they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious at these three men that he knew were men of integrity. And he said, listen, this is very easy. Just bow down and all of this will go away. Just bow down and all of this will go away. And he said, no. He says, oh, king, we won't. And then Nebuchadnezzar adds this. I know that you're worshiping your God. But who on earth, what God will be able to save you from, from my hand, from my power? Who is greater than me? I'm God. Who's going to do this for me? And that's sort of the da-da-da moment, and you have to watch the movie, because I'm like, it's like saying, this God can't even sink this Titanic, and you go, da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. But he, maybe, sorry, just the next slide, I'm... Um, I'm paraphrasing. So then he says, Is it true, Sadrach Nesik and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the music, just do what you ought to do. Fall down, worship the image that I've made, and everything will be well with you. But if not, if you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace, this oven that is hot. And who is this God who will deliver you out of my hand? And Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "Our king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, then our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to your king that we will not serve your gods. We will not bow down to your image. And you know the rest of the history. King was furious. The music played, and the three gentlemen just humbly stood before the king and refused to bow down. The king was furious; he commanded the oven to be to be set alight and infinitely hotter than ever, seven times It's just a picture of speech of as hot as it can get as hot as hell. They made it, <clears throat> and then the king went out of the courtyard. And these men were thrown into the furnace. But the men who even opened the door to the furnace were burned to a crisp. But They died. But the three men were... F- and the king felt bad. The king went up at night. And he was standing in his loft. And the king looked down at one stage. Because he was troubled. Because he just burned three of his most faithful in- people of integrity. It's, it's the same in governance today. You only have three faithful people that aren't corrupt. And now he burnt all three of them. It's just really, really bad. <laughs> It's like, where will I find another LP with integrity, you know? So he went, and as he was walking and he was troubled, the Bible says, and he looked out from his palace down to the fire, and he saw four men walking in the fire. And the Bible says the king did something which a king does not do. He ran down those stairs. He shouted to everyone, look at what's happening outside. And as he was running outside, Everyone in the civil court and everyone in the palace, everyone who was working with him, saw the king running outside and they wanted to see what was happening. So the whole of the, the governance sector ran out with him. All the LPs and everyone else with him stood outside and he shouted. He says, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And the doors were opened and these three men walked out. And the Bible says, not even their clothes smelled like smoke. And not one hair on their body was singed. Thank you so much, the Afrikaanse boyke. Anyway, not one of their hairs was singed. And then they said, listen, but weren't they, didn't I see a fourth man with you in the fire? And that's sort of where the story ends in. I'll pick up now what happened from there. But I'd just like you to see from this story, what, what do we learn about God and about suffering and about you and me? What, what do we learn? The first thing that we learn is that a good life does not save you from suffering. In fact, a godly life doesn't save you from suffering. Many times the godly life is the reason why you suffer in this earth. It's just because you're a godly person. Jesus promised it. He says, listen, if you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution you're not going to then escape it the fact that you are a godly person doesn't mean you will not lose your job the fact that you're a godly person doesn't mean you will not ever get sick the fact that you're a godly man doesn't mean that you will not be treated unjustly that your house will not be robbed it does not guarantee any of these things the fact that you're a good person doesn't doesn't mean that i mean look at the examples in scripture of all the people who suffered. And many of them were just godly people. Who suffered just because the earth is filled with sin and with sickness. That's, that's the truth. So we will never escape it. And I want to say that in my ministry. I haven't been in ministry long. 14 years now. But in my ministry. The thing that, suffer, that, that people freak out the most. Is when a godly person suffers. They are surprised by the fact that this happens with me. And that's why we go introspection or accusation. It's like, why on earth does this happen? Because we live with the presumption that my godliness or my pursuit of God, my righteousness, means that I will get a husband because I serve God. But now, why does that woman, and I know that she's a sinner, why does she get married and I don't get married? God, this is not fair. We laugh about it, but that's that's a true problem. God, why does that corrupt guy get the promotion but I don't and in fact that's, that's the theme of so many of the Psalms he says God why does the wicked prosper and the, and the righteous suffer why is this like this God and it's, it troubles us Peter writes it so beautiful he says do not be surprised my brethren when we fall into various trials so beautiful and then he says there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reward for the trials don't worry about that But but I love that phrase, don't be surprised when you suffer, Other translations. Don't be surprised when you suffer. In this world, we will have trouble. Why do we have suffering in this world? Because of sin. As the church, we will always be at the forefront and always be engaged in the reliance of suffering. We will always be in the forefront, but we will always be engaged in the pursuit of relieving suffering. That's the intention of the church. Good life doesn't save us from suffering. In fact, these three men were thrown into the fire because of their godliness. But God is not the author of suffering. I just want you to to note this here. God God is not the one who authors the suffering. Who in this story was the man who authored the suffering? Ungodly, pagan, worshipping king, idolatrous king, who believed himself to be God. He was actually tricked into this whole thing, but, but he's the author. He's the one who threw them in the fire. It wasn't God. God... God didn't do that. God didn't light the fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> God didn't do that. God didn't do any of those things. As the pagan king. My, my my mind thinks in melodies. Anyway. <laughs> but God is not the author of suffering. How do we know God for? And this is really important. And it helps. It's so simple and so helpful to always have this in mind when you have a picture of God. How did God create the universe, the nature of the, the, the creator is seen in the nature of the creation. So, how did God create the universe? Adam and Eve, perfect, beautiful, no sin, no death, no suffering, no violence, no jealousy, no nothing. Everything was good, everything was perfect, everything was blessed, everything was beautiful. And then, the slung. <laughs> sin entered into mankind. And then from that point onwards, everything on earth went bad. He said, listen, even your childbearing will be in pain. The earth will be cursed. There will be thorns. There will be sickness. There will be death. There will be vengeance. There will be murder. I mean, Adam took a bite from the apple or from the fruit. His son clubbed his brother to death. Great escalation in sin and violence from that moment onwards. It's just a cycle of sin, death, and violence from that moment onwards. Why did Jesus come? To bring an end to sin, which causes suffering and death. What will be the nature of the new kingdom, do we read in Revelations? When Jesus returns, there will be no more tears, no more death, sin will be no more, suffering and sickness will be no more. So God's heart and God's intention, if you want to know what God is like, then just look at Genesis and look at Revelation and see God just comes to restore that which was always there. God is the God of peace, of wholeness, of love, and of blessing. He's the God that makes all things new. He's, he's at the business of making all things new. We are the uni, new humanity that he's making. The character of the church, in its essence, in its beauty, represents God. And the character of the church is one of life-giving, beauty, peace, love, wholeness. So God is not the author of sin or death or suffering God is the author of life and redemption. But we know there's more than this. Where do we find God in this story? And I, I just love, where do we find Jesus in this story? The Lord does not save these three men from the fire. They cry out in their saints and they pray, but, but God does not save them from the fire. Nebuchadnezzar sends them, commissions them, and says, okay, you will burn to death. Go He's so furious, angry That these three men Doesn't bow down to him And God is so able To deliver them God is so able To save them From the fire God is so Has all the power In fact their confession Is listen Our king Our God is able To save us from the fire He's going to do it Watch this space Da 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 And then Nebuchadnezzar says "Tana, (laughs) Let's see how he do it And he throws them in And everyone dies Except these three men but I tell you that this picture is one of the most beautiful pictures. And we, we sang this, Andre, the Lord said it to him on Friday, and we sang it a few times now, we are communion. Where do we find Jesus? In the fire. Jesus always enters us, our suffering, with us. We never suffer alone. Never, ever. We know this. In your times of the greatest stories, I mean, even though that, that very well-known footprints dream that someone had that is published a million times all over the world you know the dream where the person said Lord I've been looking back and I saw this dream of my footprints and I look back and the times when it was the toughest in my life I only see one set of footprints in the story and and then the Lord said to the lady I presume it's a lady, said to the lady this is footprints on the beach." it's a lady it's a lady <laughs> and the Lord said, <laughs> That's a girl. And the Lord says to the lady, uh, person in the dream, He says, I didn't leave you in the times of suffering. I was the one who carried you. And it, it's such a... We know the story so well, but it's so true. The times when, when we go through the hardships of life, we are the closest to God because then there are no pretenses. There's nothing fuzzy. Your, your prayers are real prayers. It's not, Oh, Lord. Na, na, na. It's like, God! Ah! I'm going to die. You've got to do something. Oh, God, I'm so angry at you. Why do you do this? Why is my kid dying, God? What are you doing? It's, it's those times of, of severe pain that you are honest with God. And when there's no pretense, the Lord says, if you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. If you if, and in those times, we really draw near to God for the next breath, for the next step. It's not times of difficulties that, that the Lord is the closest. Where, do, where does Stephen the first martyr in the Bible see Jesus, the clearest. It's when the stones and the rocks are coming out at him and he's dying. And he's smiling in the face of death. He goes like, wow, I see the Lord. And his face is radiant and then the people are even more angry with him because he's so at peace because he sees Jesus while being stoned to death. We have this friend. Um, the reason why, where this word came from is a couple of hours friends of ours. Uh, the previous year, they they went through real hardship. She didn't plan to get pregnant, because she didn't ever, ever actually plan to. She didn't think she'll be a good mother, so she didn't. They were just postponing the whole pregnancy thing. They were just like, no, no, we're not going to go for this. And then by a massive miracle, medically it wasn't supposed to be possible, but she she fell pregnant. And she goes like, oh, now I'm pregnant. Okay, so, now I don't know I'm going to do this because I didn't plan to be pregnant, but now I am pregnant. And she and her husband came and prayed with us because the doctor said it's going to be a Down syndrome baby and the baby definitely has a heart defect and we don't even know if the baby actually has, um, has kidneys because we can't see it in the detailed sonar at 23 weeks. So it's, it's a bad thing. And then they prayed and they discussed a lot and then as we went through it, actually went better and better. The prognosis, the baby's nose, bone grew and a few miracles, kidneys grew back. And during the pregnancy it was one of those times when the whole church prays because it's a baby <laughs> It's like, just like a grown man you go like ah oh, dude I'll pray for you but come over for rugby but if it's a baby then we all pray it's like, even though, so we really prayed and then and then the baby was born prematurely she, she just had uh, very early 32 weeks or something um, they tried to keep the baby in a little bit longer, but the baby came really early. And then the heart defect was really bad because the heart, there was still a hole in the heart. And oh, Emma, Emma Jane, the most beautiful baby, she actually she was in and out ICU. She spent the first four months of her life in neonatal ICU just because of a heart defect. They didn't think the baby would live two weeks. They didn't think the baby would live six weeks. They said, no, it's another week, another month. But Emma Jane eventually went home. She was there. They did the first surgery on her heart to try and rectify the, 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 the heart gap, and they did. But then the autumn on the one side never grew, so the lung was really small on the one side. So she was scheduled for another surgery. But this is like real prayer stuff. So for their nine months of pregnancy plus the, the eight months, we as a church, we, we really prayed. Like really, really prayed. And it was so tough on... on On the parents, you know, because they lived eight, uh, four of her, no, yeah, I think she, in total, more than four of the eight months of her life she spent in neonatal ICU. But then Emma Jane, during the surgery, it didn't go well and she died eventually. And it was really, really tough on the parents. It was really, really tough. So we really, as a church, we prayed. But afterwards, it was so amazing that um, Gideon and Sonia. You know, their lives were so transformed because of this time of suffering. And they so grew in the knowledge of who Jesus is and of his church amidst their fire, amidst their hardship. Because they really, they were on their knees daily for hours, just for their girl. And in that time, they get to know Jesus for who he really was amidst their suffering. And they are forever challenged, forever transformed just because of that suffering. Just the same as these guys. They walked with the Lord. You are the closest your life is, in your life. You are the closest with the Lord in your time when the fire is the hottest. Just a little bit stepping away from centered with ourselves. What do we know about Jesus? The King of the universe. The great Lord. The great King. The great God. The almighty Father. The Bible says. The Prince of Peace. What does Jesus do? When he's born, he's born in a suffering, oppressed community, oppressed by the Romans, ostracized by his own people because he was born out of wedlock. He chose the path of the greatest suffering ever. Hebrews says of him, said, because he, a high priest, he's a faithful high priest, because he himself suffered temptation and persecution, so that, we are, so that he's able to relate to his brothers and represent them well before God. I paraphrase two scriptures now. Hebrews two seventeen and four sixteen and 17. Or 15 and 16. But it's an amazing story. He says, come now, approach me to the throne of grace because I'm able to sympathize with you in your weakness. Because I've been there. But it's always a promise. The Lord enters our suffering so that he himself can comfort and strengthen us in our suffering. But then the last point there. So, God, a good life doesn't save us from suffering. God is not the author of suffering. God enters our own fire, our own suffering. But then our suffering has purpose. Maybe if you can just jump to the next slide. Thanks for helping me. Our suffering has purpose. That, that is the weirdest thing. We don't suffer for nothing. God is not a, a masochist. But we suffer for a reason. And it's amazing, and I want to start with this. Our suffering... The first reason for suffering, if we just want a human promotion, is that we suffer whenever we suffer, it is for our benefit. That's <laughs> a weird thing. Anyone who's done any form of, of athletics or studied for become an or, or orthopedist, orthopedist, anyway, or doctor, or anything, any form of suffering, we go through suffering because we know that we go through this because we wanna, there's a purpose for climbing this hill. But then suffering in some ways is the same. What is the first reward? What is the first thing that happened after these three men were called out of the fire, after their suffering? God preserved them in the firing. They went through the fire. It was tough. They must have been really afraid walking up into that flames and the guys dying next to them as they went inside. And they figured out, oh, the fire's not touching me. I'm in the fire, but I'm preserved in the fire. And then they come out, and the king ran down and shouted and called them out. And he said, Sadrach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, weren't there four guys in the fire with you? And then he says, because you are able to withstand the fire and the torture and the fear, because of the strength of your convictions, he promoted all three of them in their civil actions. He promoted them to high positions of authority because of their integrity, because of their faithfulness. The first thing that he did is he promoted them. And I love that part of the story, because that's something that we always find. Job, after his suffering, had double what he had before, plus he knew God. (laughs) Job got to know God in the fire. And then after that, he, he received double. On this earth, he was rewarded well. Peter, after he's shaking, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, He says, Peter, Peter, Satan asked to sift you like wheat. But I'll carry you through. I've prayed for you. And then when you come back, you'll strengthen your brothers. What happens to Peter after his time of this, the most shaking time in his life? The day of Pentecost. Peter is all of a sudden, the Lord entrusts the first sermon and the first salvation of people and the first explanation of the church. He says, Peter can do this, man. No one else can, but Peter, you're the man. Why? Because the Lord tested him in the time of suffering, in the time of persecution. And we find this in every single book in the Bible. When someone is sifted, when someone is, goes through hardship, the Lord proves you. The Lord tests you. The Lord tests you like fire. He says, listen, I want you to be tested. I want you to, to be proven. What type of character are you? But the Lord actually knows. It's more for us. What is solid will remain and what is shaky and what is flaky will be burnt. So the Lord... Preserve, it tests us in the fire, and it leads to their promotion and it 's the same for you. Let me just mention the scripture to you it 's something that we know well. It says that romans eight twenty eight twenty nine 28, 29, just hang in there for a second it 's coming it 's all coming back it 's coming back to me now <laughs> Celine Dion, a shocker. Andre, thank you. Wiki Andre just said so. All things work together for the good for those who are the called according to your purpose. Can we just get the context of that scripture? Well, Paul writing to the church in Rome during Nero's reign and his persecution, and they were suffering. And just after that, he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. No death, no, da, 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 But he writes that just before that. So the context is severe suffering. And then he says to them, listen, guys, I just want you to know this. That all things work together for your good. For those who are called according to the purpose of God. Another way of saying that, that nothing irredeemable can happen to a Christian. There's nothing that can happen to a Christian where you will be worse off afterwards. I want you to get that. He says, even death. (laughs) This is great, dude. He says, but nothing doesn't matter. What comes your way, you are better off afterwards when you're a Christian, because of God's working with you. The Lord is not going to leave you over to Satan to be trampled on. He says, no, no. I'm steering your life. Even in Job's case, Satan was like, hey, dude, I want to test that man. I want to shake that man. I want to burn that guy. I'm going to give him sickness. And the Lord says, gives permission for everything because He knows what He can be trusted with. Nothing irredeemable can happen to a Christian. There's literally nothing coming your way. Nothing. And people, let's be honest, there are bad things happening to people. Bad things have happened to you. The Lord says, doesn't matter what happens, you will be better off afterwards. In me. Not apart from me, but in me. I can make all things work together for your good. It sounds so humanistic, but that's really the Lord. That's what the Lord says. Your promotion. Suffering leads to your promotion. You're better off after this than than you were beforehand. And you have to remind yourself because, you know, times of suffering is not one day in a fire. Times of suffering is patekirbaya. It's a long time. Just know that God is at work. God is at work in you. The next one is God's megaphone. Suffering promotes your witness to God like nothing else. Yeah, Giddy is a great guy. People love him. But man, the reason why so many people know Giddy, the reason why so many likes and followings on his Facebook page, and even Sonia, is because of their suffering. Because everyone knew that these people were suffering for eight months, more than eight months, before the baby even came. But suffering does that to you. What happened with these three men? There were three men serving God. You know, not many people took cognizance of them because there were many civil officials in, in the city, probably Babylon itself, where Nebuchadnezzar was. So there were three of many civil, civil servants. You know, they were just normal, ordinary people. But even you and I are preaching about them tonight because of their suffering. If it wasn't for suffering, they would be unknown, and they'd just escape in life. But suffering does that to you. When the king ran down, when he saw the four men walking around in the furnace of fire, which was hot as hell, when they ran down, the whole of the court, the Bible says, everyone came out in verse 30. And they ran out and they screamed and everyone in the whole palace, it says there three times, came out and stood in front of them as they walked out of the fire. And everyone's like, dude, why do you look so okay? You just came out of a fire. And the guy like, ah, the Lord was with me. He carried me through this. And I'm like, dude, this is just weird. And then, what does the king do? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, first of all, he promotes them. And then he says, okay, I'm writing a decree now, which will be published in every province, in every city where I reign. He was reigning over the whole known world in that time. That if anyone says anything bad about this God, the God of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be hacked to pieces, and he goes into gory details. But I love that about them. Their suffering led to God's glory. Because God is glorified. Because how are you okay? You came through this. I'm like, I'm okay. God loves me. Hattie Brits, I don't know how many of you know Hattie Brits' story. Why are you okay? You were raped badly. And she's like, the Lord was with me. The Lord spoke to me. And God carried me through. And I'm like, no, no, but seriously, how are you doing? And she's like, uh, I'm really okay. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, just re- yes, thanks that you're okay, but, but really, how are you doing? He's <laughs> so like, okay, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And so everyone is buying their books and stuff, and that's not the purpose of the, the incident. But the point is, God is glorified, and God is shown that all things really work together for those who love God. And everyone knows, everyone in all of Babylon knew the God of Sadrach, Messach, and Abednego. The same with Daniel's story in the lion's Then It's a similar story. But our suffering, if you suffer well, always lead to that. And obviously you, the, suffering, the purpose of suffering is that you may know God. That you may really, really know God. That you may know who God is. The people in, in the desert got to know God. The, the Jews who walked with Him. It was the purpose of walking in the desert for 40 years. It's like, you didn't know me. At the end of this generation, you will know me. Job got to know God in the fire. Daniel got a revelation that God is able to shut the lions' mouths in the fire. Jonah got to know the Lord while he was running away from God. Everywhere. His suffering leads you to look away from all the earthly stuff that, that clutter our thinking. And like, okay, there's a, there's a real God. That really knows me. It's going tough with me, but because of this I'm calling out and I'm getting to know the real God. Suffering always purifies the church through the ages. Because we get uncluttered with the stuff that happens. And, and the, the, the churches and the suffering communities are always the churches on fire that really love God and intimate with God. Why? Because the things of this world go strangely dim in the light of his presence. We just... Nothing else matters. Let me just run to God because I need God to live. And, then you, and God says, thank you. You get to understand that I am your source of life. It clarifies our perspective in life. I'm not going to go into that now. But it really shows us what's important, what's not important. I mean, if you go through fire, if you go through rape, if you go through a, a, a you know, lose your job, if there's a bomb scare, if there's a flood, whatever you go through, afterwards you go like, Praise God I have my family and praise God that that the Lord protected me. I'm okay, I'm okay. Yes, I lost a limb in this whole thing. Praise God I've got my family. Praise God I've got a witness and that is your story after that. That becomes your story, that becomes your song. Because the stuff of this world, you know, take away my car, take away my stuff, take away my house, lose my job, it's okay. God, thank you that my boy is fine. Thank you that my boy is fine and my boy knows you. Thank you. It clarifies your perspective. It gives you eternal perspective that is godly and that is worthy. And suffering has always done that for us. Because you know that life on earth is really, really short and eternity is really, really long. And then last one. Suffering helps us to, to, gain, to gain compassion. If you are able to suffer, if you go through suffering, then you're not casual with people who suffer afterwards. Not even people who suffer, in a, you know, even if they suffer in a different way. Your prayers for them is like really accurate. You understand what they're going through. I mean, why does Jesus have compassion with us, the Bible says? Because he suffered like us. <laughs> so he says, come talk to me. I know what you're going through. I really know this. No, honestly, I really know. You're the school freak. I was a school freak, you know. You're the one who is always the righteous guy and everyone else sins and you know they mock you because you come and talk to me you know it doesn't matter what you go through Jesus says I know what you're going through you were lonely I was lonely you were betrayed I was betrayed you were beat up because of doing nothing wrong I was beaten up because of doing nothing wrong you were separated from your father I was separated from my father you lost your mother I did the same but it's amazing it's, it's more than that It helps us to actually really spend time You you really are compassionate with people Who suffer once you yourself have suffered And that's why I think One of the main reasons why God allows the church Suffering Because Sometimes we preach this this Weird gospel That we are the ones And nothing in this earth will touch us Because we are the godly people And no one will ever suffer And let the world suffer Let, Let Satan rip them all to pieces But we are fine And I want to tell you God is not into that type of, not at not, not all. God is not into that type of gospel. God is the, gospel, the God of the fatherless and the widow and the orphan, and the stranger, the alien among us, those who are persecuted, those who are trapped down. And that's why the Lord says, listen, unless you're going to get a heart for them, you're going to feel their pain because I want you to feel their pain. I feel their pain. I want you to feel their pain. If you can associate and identify with them, then it's great. So suffering allows us to really identify with other people who suffer. Because the, the church was never ever called to be this city far away, the lofty ones that never ever have any pain in suffering while the world you know, is trampled to hell, literally. The Lord says, no, no. The church is always among the people. It's always among the people. It helps us to gain compassion. It helps us to feel with others. How do we take this home? Three things. First one is just... Um, To comfort, Fear not, says the Lord, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, your flames shall not consume you. Just know that the Lord is always with us. The Lord said it over and over tonight, and maybe that's the one thing the Lord is saying to us. Regardless of where you are. God says you are never alone. I'm always with you. I'm always with you. I understand what you're going through. Listen guys, maybe just one thing that just dropped in my head now. Sometimes we feel that our suffering is not as hardcore as other people's suffering, so the Lord doesn't care about us. Suffering is suffering. Suffering is caused by sin, it's separation from stuff, you know. And the Lord cares about your suffering. Don't think because you weren't gang raped by ten people but you just lost your job that it's not as bad and God doesn't really care that much. It's not true. If you feel pain, God feels pain. The Lord identifies with your pain and the Lord is there to comfort you. So the Lord says, Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you always. Just know that you are not deserted. And this is so important for you to remind yourself that God has not left you, therefore, you suffer. It's not the truth. He enters in the fire with you. He enters into the fire with you. It's not because of your failure that you suffer. Sometimes it is because of my failure that I suffer, but that's the story of the gospel. It doesn't matter. Whosoever, doesn't matter what the reason of trouble is, if even if it's your own stupidity that you drown and sink, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. He doesn't save you because you're good, he saves you because you call out, because you need his salvation. Doesn't matter what you're going through. So just know that. Even if you've messed up your whole life and now you find yourself single and your kids don't want to talk to you, cry out to God. Don't punish yourself. God came to redeem us of sin. Our own sin, other people's sin, it's indefinite. He wants to save, he wants to redeem, and he comforts us in our weakness. And then the next one is just, you've got to hold on to hope. The fact that you know that I'm suffering now, but all things work together for the good, for those who love God, and those who are called according to his purpose. It might be bad now, but know this doesn't matter where this suffering comes from. The Lord says everything will be turned about. It's a weird thing. For your good. Because you love God. He'll make it a bounty. He'll make it turn around for you. You'll make this better. You are better off because of the suffering. You're better off because of good things. You're better off doesn't matter what. Because the God of the whole universe is with you. And then the last one. Just to prepare your heart, I love this statement. If this is so, our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, even if not, even if not, God, just let it be known. (laughs) O king, we won't serve any other God. I won't just serve God when it's going well. What was the major accusation that Satan brought against Job? This boy only serves you because he's going well. He's rich, he's prosperous, look at him, only because he's going well he serves you. (laughs) And Job thought so as well. (laughs) That was the big lesson for Job. Job thought so as well. I'm serving God, nothing can happen with me. Boo! (laughs) And then the Lord says, "Mm -mm. go Satan, I want to show you that that boy is amazing. That boy is amazing. That boy's heart is loyal to me. It doesn't matter what happens with him. And then Satan let rip on all that he could. He lost everything he loved, except his wife. The Lord was gracious to him. Sometimes if you listen to his wife on the ash sheep, you wonder, wouldn't the Lord have taken her away? as well? <laughs> She's not helping. And those friends of him, they're not helping either. You know, <laughs> Maybe he would have been better. But then we wouldn't have had a story, because the story is just a dialogue. Anyway. But it's amazing. The oldest book in the Bible, The Greatest Truth. Prepare your heart that when suffering comes, you are not surprised at suffering. Because Peter says, listen, don't be surprised when you suffer. Our God is a great God. Our God is the God that carries us through the fire. Doesn't matter what you go through in life, he's with you. Doesn't matter what comes your way, you'll make all things work together for your good. And because of a fire, in the midst of the fire, I want you to know that your faithfulness and your loyalty to God is a megaphone. It's amplified... Because of the suffering. You have a louder voice because people are always drawn to look at someone in suffering. And because in the midst of the suffering, if you give glory to God, they just go, this does not make sense. And they walk closer. Even like Moses to the burning bush. They're like, why is the fire still burning inside of you? Why are you okay? And then you become the witness that says, there's a God who never ever ceases to exist, even in my suffering. I have an enduring life. I am sharing in the life of Christ, the eternal life of Christ now. God is able to preserve me in the fire. Look at my life. See how he will prosper me amidst of the suffering. doesn't matter what Satan throws my way. I'll be okay because my God is on my side. And even if I die now, I want you to be, to know that I'll be rewarded eternally for my faithfulness to God even now in this life. My life on earth is just short. My eternity is long and my suffering helps me understand Even if everything is bad, even if Job ends dying on the airship, eternally he'll be rewarded with God because his life is in God's hands eternally. Yours and mine as well.